Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. <clears throat> let's, look at this good, let's look at these good verses tonight. <clears throat> I'm going to read this whole chapter. It's about, it's about mm, 12 or so, just about 12 verses or so, not too long. But let me read this whole chapter to you and we'll jump in. Ecclesiastes 6. It says this, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his, for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. If any man beget a hundred children, and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in, in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor know anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet, that, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place? All the labor of man is for, for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled." For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the, before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which hath been is named already, and it is known that it is man. That, that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his, vain, of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? Now, there's a lot of good verses here, and you may be thinking to yourself as you read these with me, man, these are good verses, but what do they have to do with us tonight? I want you to know there's a lot in these verses that are very important for you and I to understand. And I hope we can unpack this chapter tonight and see what God has for us. Let's pray we'll get started. Lord, I love you. God, I thank you now for this time. Lord, I pray, Lord, you'd help us as we open your word, see your word and understand your word. God, I pray, Lord, you'd help us. Lord, help me remember what I've studied. Help me to communicate it clearly, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There, uh, on November 20th, 1959, a popular television show called The Twilight Zone uh, aired its most popular of its 92 shows. It was an episode that was entitled Time Enough at Last. The story was about a man whose name was Henry Henry Bemis, who loved to read. Now his problem, however, was that he struggled to find the time or the place to sit down with a book. When he got home and he was at home, his, his nagging wife would not even let him read the newspaper, accusing him of wasting time by reading. His job was one, was one of being a teller at a bank. And one day while at the, at the bank working, he was reading, reading a book called David Copperfield on the job and it caused him to shortchange a customer. That got him into trouble with his boss and his boss then forbade him to read during working hours anymore. So the next day, he snuck down to the vault of the bank during his lunch hour because there in the vault of the bank, it would be quiet and he would have time to read his book. But suddenly, while he was reading this book, there was a huge ex explosion above. The vault was shaken, and Henry was knocked unconscious. After regaining his consciousness, however, and then recovering his thick eyeglasses he needed to see, he emerged from the rubble to find that the world had been destroyed by nuclear war. The bank was destroyed, and everyone was dead, except him, because he had been in the, in the bank vault, and it had protected him. 
Alone in, in a shattered world, he was supplied with enough canned food that it would last him a lifetime, but yet he still succumbed to despair. And, that, and as he prepared to end his life with a revolver that he found, he looked up and saw in the distance a library. So he began to investigate and he found that the library had survived the, the, the nuclear blast. And this man who loved to read was so excited because he realized he had all the time in the world to read these books. And as he bent down to pick up his first book, his glasses that he needed so desperately fell off his nose, hit the ground, and shattered. It is, he, 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 he was, he was uh, completely broken and in despair. And he cried out, it's not fair, it's not fair. Because he had surrounded himself with everything he could ever want and yet it would no longer be able to satisfy his needs. That is the theme of Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes. And that is the theme of this chapter we're going to look at tonight, chapter number 6. You know, as we, it's, it's, Solomon to me is almost like a person who walks two steps forward just to take three steps backwards. Solomon, he looked in chapter 5, looked like he was making some progress in, in, in his despair. He, began, he pointed a lot in chapter 5 to the Lord. But now it's in chapter 6, it's almost like he's taking three steps back and he slips once again into, into despair, viewing life as being nothing more than empty and vain and a waste of time. Solomon once again has found himself on a spiritual roller coaster, revealing his double-minded ways. He had it all, yet he had nothing because Solomon had left the Lord out of his life. Solomon is honestly like so many Christians today. You and I are surrounded by so many things that pull it out of our attention, that grab at our hearts. We're caught up in the great rat race of our day and we have forgotten the one who has given to you and I everything. You know, Hosea put, a, put it about God's people in his day like this. Uh, he, he, in Hosea 13, he was talking about how God had given the, the, to the people of Israel everything and he had provided to them everything. But in Hosea 13, 6, he says this. He, gave, he said, according to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. And then God said this, Therefore have they forgotten me. Without, without placing God at the top of our list and making Him the preeminent one in our life, you and I can have everything and yet have nothing in this life. The truth of the matter is, is our satisfaction is not guaranteed. I, I even like how our founding fathers wrote in our founding documents that you and I are guaranteed some things like life and liberty, but then we are, the only thing we're guaranteed about happiness is that you and I can pursue it. You and I have never been promised satisfaction in this life. But when you and I look at, look at this chapter, when I look at this chapter, I begin to see two very distinct men in this chapter. Uh, the the first man I see is what I would call the frustrated man. And the second man I see would be what I would call the fulfilled man. And what I want to do tonight is look at this chapter and look at the lives of these two men we find in this chapter. And I want to show you how important it is to put aside the frustrated man so you and I can become the fulfilled man. Let's look at this chapter. First of all, let's talk about the frustrated man. You know, in verse number one, as Solomon begins to look around once again at the world, he, he notices again an evil. That's what he said in verse number one. This, there is an evil which, which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. 
That word evil is from the Hebrew word ra, and it means misery or distress or adversity or tragedy. You know, the thing about this misery that, that, that Solomon viewed and observed in his, in his life was that it was not just seemingly for a select few group of people. It was really a common misery that affected many people. It, it affected not only Solomon himself and Solomon's friends, but so many people in the nation of Israel at that time and so many people in our day are affected by this misery of life. It was the, it, it was the tragedy of a frustrated life. And then he begins to mention some of the characteristics of the frustrated man and what makes up the frustrated man in this life. And I wanted to share with you quickly because I'd like to get to the fulfilled man if I can tonight. The first thing he mentions as, he looks, as we look at this chapter when it comes to the frustrated man is he mentions the possessions, the possessions of the frustrated, frustrated man. Verse 2, he says this, A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth. Rich, rich, riches, and wealth. And then he goes on to say, and he says, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. And then he, 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 we, we, we realize <clears throat> that in this statement that Solomon, Solomon is talking about this man who has great possessions and is surrounded by great, great ability and great, and great, and great uh, access to whatever he could have that was desire, his soul could desire. I read this story this week about an old Aesop fable about this dog who was crossing a bridge with a bone in his mouth. And as he was crossing the bridge, he looked down and in, 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 in the reflection of the water, he saw another dog with a bone. Well, this dog desired the bone of that other dog he saw. And so he reached out in the water to grab that bone. And when he did, his bone fell out of his mouth and hit the water. And he came back with nothing. You know, he, 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 was, he was not satisfied with what he had and he wanted it more. And in the end, his desire to not be satisfied with what he had and what more left him completely and totally empty. And that's what Solomon is saying here in verse 2. That, 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 that a man may have riches and wealth so that his soul could desire nothing. And yet at the end of the day, all the possessions this man could have, it does not satisfy this man's soul. It is an, nothing more than an evil disease eating the person alive. They see what others have and they want more. They have to have the latest and the greatest, the, the bigger home, the fancier car, more toys, the latest tech. Whatever they have is just simply not enough. You know, I, 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 in my study this week, I, I've read a lot and I found out that, you know, there, there are some people who in this great desire to please themselves, they, they build great houses or do great things and, they, and when it all is said and done, they find that it just leaves them nothing but empty. I read about this Christian organization out in Colorado called the Navigators. And they, they told this story about how they, how they were able to purchase their, their headquarters for their organization. There was a wealthy man there in, in Colorado who, who in hopes of pleasing his wife, he built a large 35-room English-style mansion. And he, he spent millions upon millions of dollars on this building. He, and, and on the day that he moved his wife in, he surprised her with his 35-room mansion. She, he, he moved the family in. The wife walked in, took one look around and said, I don't like this. This is not what I want. And walked back out. And the man had to sell that home, and he did to this group of people called the Navigators. He, 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 he spent millions of dollars in hopes to please, and yet when it was all said and done, it was not enough to satisfy. 
That is the nature of the world you and I live in. We all, we, 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 are, we are told to, to desire this thing that we would call the American dream, the home with the white picket fence and the two cars in the driveway. And that if we don't have that, we, we, we must go and go after that and we must have more. And what we don't realize is that idea is nothing more than some marketing ploy to convince you and I that what we have is not enough and we need more to please us. It's almost like as a child, if you remember being a child and you got that Christmas toy, maybe, maybe you, you know, maybe you picked it out and you said, Mom, Dad, this is what I want. And Mom and Dad went and bought it. They wrapped it up. And on Christmas Day, you opened the toy up and you got exactly what you thought you wanted. Oh, man. And for a moment, you were so excited and you played with it. It was new and it was shiny and it was so exciting. Only for about a month later, the new wore off. The, it no longer carried the same shine. And that toy you wanted so bad was in, in the toy box, no longer pleasing you like you thought it would. Only for you to move on to the very next toy that you thought was going to please you so well. You know, you, I, I'm glad you and I have our Bible because in our Bible, one of the greatest examples of that, of that reality is the nation of Israel. They were consumed. They were a people consumed with getting what they wanted and not what God wanted for them. They wanted more than manna. They wanted a king like the nations around them. They wanted and wanted, and finally God allowed them to have exactly what they wanted, only for them to realize that it was not going to be enough. I like how, how the psalmist put it like this in Psalm 106, verse 13 through 15. He said this, After God gave them everything he want, they wanted, he says this, They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Oh, friend, can I tell you, you and I should be cautioned that if we complain enough, God may give to you and I exactly what we think we want, and you and I may lose exactly everything we had. There's the, the, the frustrated man is a man who was consumed by his possessions. But he's not just consumed by his possessions, he's consumed by his power. Because there in verse number 2, we see, this, we see that, that, that word honor. A man to whom God hath given uh, uh, riches, wealth, and honor. In this same, this, this same verse, we don't, we don't just see possessions, but power as well. Is That's that person who seeks their whole life to weigh power over other people. They seek promotions for their personal gain. They seek political office to influence others for themselves. It's the husband who lords his authority in his home and looks at his family as nothing more than subjects in his little kingdom. Whatever it is, they just constantly want to consume power in their life, only to realize that whatever power they grab, it can never be enough. There'll always be another rung on the ladder to climb. There'll always be the fear of being voted out. That kingdom that that, 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 that husband has lorded over his family will soon come crashing down and it'll have and leaving him all alone. The fact of the matter is, is that power in and of itself can never satisfy. Was it not Alexander the Great who when he had conquered the whole known world sat down and wept because he had no more to conquer and then he died at an early, early age in debauchery? Man, there was a, the, one of the fam a, a famous physicist and the creator of the atomic bomb, bomb, Robert Oppenheimer. It was toward the end of his life, he interviewed, and they asked him about all the accomplishments of his life. And he looked back on his life and said this, they leave on the tongue only the taste of ashes. It was never enough. Whatever power he gained, it was, he could never satisfy. 
And the frustrated man in life will be the man who constantly seeks power for his own self, only to find out that whatever power he may gain, he'll only want a little bit more, and it will never satisfy. The frustrated man is the man who seeks possessions, a man who seeks power. But then can I just say this? Verse 3 through 6, we see the frustrated man is the man who seeks only personal pleasure. Look at these verses. It says this, If a man beget an hundred children, and they live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that, it is an unti- that an untimely birth is better than he. Now, <clears throat> during biblical days, it was, very, it was a very honorable thing for a person to have children. They were considered to be a great joy and a great blessing from God. And can I just say, that's because they are. But having children also helped to ensure that your heritage would continue on. But here Solomon begins to make a hypothetical statement. What he says in these verses is that if a man were to have a hundred children... Oh my goodness, a hundred children. But if he were to have a hundred children, and, they were to, and, then, and then that man were to live a pro, prolonged life, verse 6 down there, Solomon says, for maybe 2,000 years. But yet, while he had all these children, and he had this great expanse of life, if his life was lived for no good, if it was a life that was lived only to satisfy his own personal pleasures, then that life is nothing more than a wasted life. Solomon actually says that it would have been better at the end of verse 3 that that man would have had an untimely birth, that that man would have died at a young age, or maybe that man would have been, or some, some miscarriage would have happened in the womb. It would have been better for that man never to have been born than to have been born and had so many children and a prolonged life just to waste his life on his own personal pleasure. In fact, Solomon states that if his life was so bad that in the end the person who, who died did not even receive a burial, which at, that time, at this time for a person not to receive a proper burial was considered a curse upon the life of that man, that his life was lived so wickedly that his 100 children didn't even care enough about him or love him enough to give him a proper burial, that that man had had a wasted life. You know, the mantra of the day you and I live in is one that says this, let us eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But can I just say, that leads to a pointless and a purposeless life. You know, that that idea is why families are in shambles tonight. It's why suicide rates are skyrocketing. It's why drug abuse and alcohol abuse are on the rise. The world demands that you and I live for selfish pleasure. And yet you and I have to understand that that will lead to a frustrated life because pleasure is because pleasure can never truly satisfy. This frustrated man, he is, he, is, he is consumed by his possessions. He is consumed by the chase for power. He is consumed by his own personal pleasure. And then he is consumed by the production of life. Verse 7, it says this, All the labor of man is for his mouth. And yet the appetite is not filled. Solomon here is still focused on earthly matters. And in verse 7 he states that all that the frustrated man does is for his belly. And yet his belly is never satisfied. There just never seems to be enough. I like what Benjamin Franklin said when he said this. If a man could have half of his wishes, he would double his troubles. Oscar Wilde warned this, In the world there are only two great tragedies. One is not getting what one wants, and the other is getting it. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that no matter how much a man may produce for his selfish desires, it will never 
be enough. And when you and I look at these verses, I see the great characteristic of the frustrated man because the frustrated man is a, is a man whose world is wrapped around one thing, and that is himself and himself alone. And you and I have to be very cautious. Man, the day and age that you and I live in, it promotes the idea of, 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 of promoting yourself. Be all about you. What do you want? How can you be happy? But friend, the end result of that life is a life lived in nothing more than frustration. Frustration. But as I look through the rest of these verses, I, don't just, I, I see another man. See, so we've seen the frustrated man, but in these last several verses, I see what I would call the fulfilled man. You see, Solomon begins to ask some questions in these final verses and as he, as he wraps his thoughts up here in chapter 6. But it's in these questions you and I can gain great understanding about what a fulfilled man, what a fulfilled man looks like. And I want to share three things with you if I can. The first thing I see about a fulfilled man is that a fulfilled man is a man who is content in his possessions. Look at verse number 8. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth the walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. You know, in verse number 8, Solomon, Solomon here poses a great question. He says, really, what really in the grand scheme of eternity does a rich man have that a poor man does not? You know, the world would convince you and I that they must have more joy because they have more possessions. Their home is bigger. They, they have, they have, they have the, the nicer car. They have their, the bank account. They don't have to wonder and worry about the, what, what, you know, the next, what the, next, the next paycheck that's coming the way. But, but what you and I see is that, that according to the Word of God, in the grand scheme of eternity, there is no difference between the rich and the poor. The, 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 the fulfilled man has learned that they can find contentment in what they have because they worship God and not their possessions. I like how Paul said it to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 7, and 8. He said this, For we brought nothing into this world, and we could take nothing out of it. And having food and raiment, let us, therefore, let, let, let us therewith be content. You know, I'm not saying tonight that there's anything wrong with having nice things. There's not anything wrong with having nice things. If God has given you the ability to have a nice car, great. Let me write it sometime. If you have a large home, great. I'm glad for you. I really am. But I will say this, there is a big difference in you owning your possessions and your possessions owning you. Too many Christians today are so caught up in their own possessions that they don't realize that their possessions have become their God and they live their life to enjoy simply the things of their life. The fulfilled man, however, realizes that what they have has been given to them by the hand of God. And whether it be a, of a, a, be a lot or whether it be a little, God has given it to them and they remain thankful and humble before the God who has provided it to them. I like that great statement in verse number 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. Boy, it's much better to go outside and look at a car that may have a little rust on it, may have a lot of miles on it, and say, hey, God, I thank you for the car I have. Then it's like, but it'd be a whole lot better if it was this. Boy, it's better to be thankful for what you have than constantly find yourself bitter because of what you don't have. 
It's, it, it, it's, 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 it's a whole lot better to look, look, look at your home and say, Lord, I know it ain't much. Hey, I, know, I, know, I know it may be tiny compared to others, but Lord, thank you for the roof over my head. Lord, thank you for the food in my, in my, in my cabinet. Lord, thank you for taking care. Thank you for the lights. Man, in the summertime, thank you for the air conditioning. Thank you for the heat in the winter. Lord, thank you for what I have, rather, rather than getting bitter because you don't have what everybody else has. Boy, it's much better to be thankful for the sight of your eyes than what you see. They constantly be, find yourself in the, in the wallowing in the desire of what you don't have. But the, but the fulfilled man is the man who's found himself content in his possessions. But there's more about the content man. The, the content man is also the man who's found himself content in his place as well. Look at verse number, excuse me, look at verse number 10. That which, is named, have been, that which hath been is named already. And it is known that it, it, that it is man. Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? You know, this, this verse, Solomon lets, lets, lets us know the vanity or the emptiness of contending with God about our place in life. You know, many Christians are convinced that somehow God has made some grave mistake in their life by placing them where they are. That, 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 and, and they contend with God in hopes that he might change their station in life. That word contend, it means to argue or to strive or to plead. And they, they see their station in life and they're fully convinced that God has made some mistake and they deserve more and they deserve better. And so they find themselves in an argument, argument with God pleading that he change their place in life. Not for God's glory, but for their own personal Vanity. But the fulfilled man understands that God uses people where he placed them in his time for his glory. And they rejoice. Now, friend, I'm not saying that it's wrong, that it's wrong for a person to try to better their life. But I will say this. A person who simply is trying to better their life for their own self will find that it doesn't matter how much better it gets, it will never be enough. But listen, friend, there's a, big difference, there's a big difference between bettering your life for yourself and then seeking to do God's will and God changing where you're at for just, so, you could, just, so you could do something for His glory. Hey, I'm fully convinced that this world needs Christians everywhere and anywhere. Hey, listen, I feel a whole lot better when I go see a doctor and I know that, that doctor's a Christian than I would if he, if he was just some heathen off the street somewhere. I, 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 so i got nothing against people trying to figure out what God's will is for their life and them going and doing it. But friend, we've got to make sure at the end of the day that whatever it is, we're seeking God's place for our life and not trying to better our place in our life for our own self. Because the fulfilled man is the man who is content with where God has placed them. You know, you and I have got to realize that at the end of the day, that we say that God is in control. And if God is in control, then God has you. Then, then if we trust Him, then God has placed you right where you are for a purpose. And that purpose is to serve Him and glorify Him. And the fulfilled life is a life that is content, a content in His place. But then lastly, I'll share this and I'll be done. The fulfilled life, the fulfilled man is a man who is content in his path. Because in verse number 12, Solomon asks one more, one more good question. He says this. For who, well, it's not a good question, excuse me. It's a question that's asked in, in Solomon's carnal state. Here's what he says. For who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his vain life which, which he spendeth as a shadow. 
You know, <laughs> he, he asks this question in this carnal, this carnal mindset that Solomon is in. He says, who knows what is good for a man in this life? Well, I'm glad to tell you, and I would tell Solomon as well, I know who knows what's good for a man in this life. God knows what's good for a man in this life. I, 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 he, he knows exactly what is good for his children in this life. The fulfilled man understands that, that, that whatever the path of this life may take, he has learned to fully trust in God, knowing that God's way is best. That's why a fulfilled man can delight himself in the Lord no matter the circumstances that life may bring. You know, that, that means that, that, that if, if the path leads down a good day, man, the fulfilled man can rejoice knowing that God has given him a good day. But if the path had to lead down some dark roads, some sad roads, some dangerous roads, the fulfilled man can find himself content in that place as well because he knows that God put him there for a purpose and for a reason. Can I tell you something? Solomon was a man who understood that in his earlier days. Solomon was a man, when he became, first became the king, we know Solomon was a wise man. God blessed him. And as Solomon began to write his most famous of all three of his books, he said this in Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And I would dare say most of us know these verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That means, that means for me, and if it's for nobody else, it's for me. That means that I, if I trust in the Lord, if I believe his, his way is best, if I lean on Him, then no matter what path He directs me down, then I can find myself content there because I look to Him. I lean on Him. I trust Him. And if I can trust Him and lean on Him, then whatever the path may be, I can find myself content. And the content man, the fulfilled man, is that man who has found himself in content in his possessions, content in his place, but content on the path that God has put him on. You know, friend, I, I, I've made this statement like this before, but man, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the most interesting things to me in, in life is how God has used people in my life to help me as I watch them go down paths that I've never had to trod. And when they trusted Him, and they leaned on God, and they found themselves content, that has helped people like me realize that when I have to walk down that path, I can trust Him, and I can lean on Him, and find myself just as content and fulfilled as they were. And friend, you know, I, I, as Solomon, I, the book of Ecclesiastes is hard. It's going to start getting better soon, trust me. But man, right here, right in the middle of this book, we're halfway through this book right now. Man, Solomon has found, in play, his, found his life not in a fulfilled place, but in a frustrated place. And if the wisest man who ever lived could end his life frustrated, then I can too. But I don't want to end. I, I, want, to, I want to have a fulfilled life. I want to find myself content with what God has given to me. Content with the place I'm at. Content with the path I'm on. But the only way to do that is to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding. 
in all my ways acknowledge him. And then he can direct my path. And then I can end a field. Heads bowed, eyes closed, but the bride's going to come.